welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. series today called Embracing Exile out of 1 Peter. So we're going to go through the entire book of 1 Peter over the course of the next few months, and it's transitioning us from our last sermon series uh, into the next one following this. But it's going to be an amazing series where we just talk about what it means for us as followers of Jesus to to live in a world that's different. Right? And, and that, that's, a, that's a constant struggle for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, uh, this is, this, we're going to talk about the life that Jesus has designed for you to live. And, and here's the thing. Uh, sometimes we, or the thing that we often hear in the church, the thing that we often believe is this. Uh, Jesus said we're supposed to be in the world, not of it. Right? Well, not exactly. Jesus actually said that if we're in him, we're not of this world. So he's actually sending us into it. That changes everything, guys. That not only means your destination has shifted, it means your starting place has shifted. You're not going to heaven if you're a follower of Jesus. You're coming from heaven into this world. That's a, that, that's a new reality for you. Your citizenship is not in the worldly kingdom. It's in a heavenly kingdom. It's a kingdom of light, of love, of liberty. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom that we are uh, ministers of. We are exiles in this world. We've been sent as ambassadors of, of, our, of our true home, emissaries of our true king, to be ministers of the truth. But the thing is, many of us, we still live like we're in this world, and we're trying to do our best not to be a part of it. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is to embrace exile and to allow the spirit to shift our allegiance to where we've come from, to whose we really are. And we're going to talk about that through this entire series as we talk through different kingdom shifts. Uh, Today, our kingdom shift is from immediate family to eternal family. Now, here's the thing about these shifts. It doesn't mean we are denigrating this thing over here to shift to this thing. It doesn't mean we're getting rid of it even. It, it really means we're taking immediate family in this, in this uh, one sermon and we're putting it in its proper context, the eternal family. And, and what we're going to do throughout this series is it's going to be uh, an intersection, a cross-section of biblical theology, which is going through the Bible and, and recognizing themes and, and seeing the large, bigger picture of what's happening in the scriptures, the meta-narrative, the story of the scriptures, if you know anything about me, that's my jam. We, we wanna, we're going to focus on that. 
but then also it's taking uh, some cultural commentary about our city, about uh, our world today and, and our culture today. It's hard to say our culture, right, because that's such a broad statement, but, but uh, our, our specific culture, not just in our city or in our communities, but in our church, in the church, okay? So some cultural commentary there and then some spiritual formation. And all three of those things are going to intersect here as we go throughout this series uh, because if we're going to embrace exile, what I want to do is open our eyes as, as a church, as followers of Jesus, to the realities a, around us. And we turn a blind eye to some of those things. So uh, immediate family to eternal family, we're just putting that in its proper context. Now, I grew up in a family where uh, it was my mom, my dad, my twin sister, Diane, uh, and, and me. So it was, it was us four and no more for a lot of those years because our extended family, a lot of them lived in Thailand or we just didn't have a relationship with them. And yes, I'm half Thai. If you're wondering, if you always wondered <laughs> what I was as someone who's a bit racially ambiguous, uh, I'm half Thai. So uh, we didn't really have a lot of relationships with our family, uh, our extended family. It was really us four and, and no more. But uh, when we were all introduced to Jesus as I was growing up, around nine or ten years old, our immediate family got put into the context of an eternal family, the family of God, the church, this community that we were created for, this Trinitarian life, Trinity life, right, that we have been invited into that is there from eternity past that God is saying we're, we're welcomed in. And guys, that changed everything. That changed everything in our family because now our immediate family was living on mission together. Our immediate family was learning who God is together. Our immediate family was reading the scriptures together. And we got put in this context of this eternal family where we were living together on mission in the fervency of the Spirit and the zeal of the Lord together. And people always ask me today if my, if my dad was a pastor, a minister, a missionary, and that's why I do what I do. And the answer is no. But also, yes. So he wasn't, a, he wasn't those things by his quote-unquote job title. He didn't quote-unquote work for a church. But he was a missionary. He is. He's, he's, a, he's a minister of reconciliation. He led our family on, on, on mission together as, as, as we're trying to figure out our faith together. Him and my mom led us on mission. I would... Uh, see my mom reading her Bible every single morning. And not just in the morning, she just read it throughout the day. I mean, she's, she's probably the only person I know who, who's probably read through the whole thing I, countless times. She just reads it and reads it over and over again. Like they led our family on mission together. So no, they weren't, it wasn't their jobs, but it was their job as a follower of Jesus. You following me here? Like, guys, that is us. That's what we're supposed to be. So putting your immediate family into the context of an eternal family, that changes everything. So in this passage here, we see Peter, 
writing to, to the church. And so in verse 1, he starts off, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's, here's the thing about apostle. So we see that, and, and again, uh, just like I just talked about with, with my dad, uh, Peter has this designation of apostle, right? So he's an apostle of the church of Jesus Christ. He's, he's one of the apostles of Christ. How that's defined in the Bible is those who had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end wit and witnessed all he did from the, from the beginning of his ministry to the resurrection. Those, th those who were who the apostles were, okay? That is the designation. But also, Peter had the apostolic gifting, right? He, he operated in the apostolic gift. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is uh, he had a certain capacity from, from, uh, from God. And, and we define it this way. Uh, this is what the spiritual gift means. It is the spiritual capacity to reveal God's vision by creating and nurturing an environment for others to discover and live out their calling in the kingdom. Okay, that's, that's the apostolic gifting, where you can create an environment uh, to reveal God's vision to help others live out their calling in Christ. And Peter here is, yes, he's designated as an apostle of Jesus, but he's also apostolic in that way. And here's the thing is, we all have that capacity. We all have the capacity to operate in that gifting, in the spirit, in the scriptures, and, and what allows someone to do that as opposed to you is not their ability or their personality. It's their willingness and their obedience. Uh, at, at Trinity Life, we, we have a little booklet uh, that, that we put together that, that helps you identify uh, your tendencies and spiritual gifts. So uh, for the apostolic gifting, it says this. It says, you demonstrate a deep understanding and vision for the kingdom and mission of the church. It also says you can adapt to different surroundings by being culturally sensitive. Uh, you have a strong sense of calling uh, for establishing new things. You have various gifts. You're able to influence and lead other leaders. You, you're able to take risks and take on difficult tasks. Uh, you're concerned about others living out their calling. Those are all identifying markers of someone who is operating in the apostolic gifting. Because you might say, well, uh, I'm not really any of those things. And I don't really have any of those things. And you might be right. But the question is, do you want to be? Do you earnestly desire the, desire the spiritual gifts, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1? Do you pursue them? Do you earnestly desire them? Do you, do you earnestly desire this? Do you want to have various gifts? Do you want to uh, demonstrate a deep understanding of the calling of God? Do you want to empower other people? Do you, do you want to lead other people? Do you want to influence? Do you, do you want to, to be able to take on risks and, uh, and uh, take on difficult tasks? Because he, here's another thing, guys. Only a few of you guys knew me eight years ago. Even fewer of you knew me 10, 20 years ago, when I was in my 20s. I wasn't any of these things. You look at me today, and you say, oh, you're definitely operating in the apostolic gift. If I know anyone who's, who's operating in the gift, that gift, it, it, it's you. You're leading our church in this way. You take risks, you, you know, all, all these things. Guys, 
I wasn't any of those things, and I didn't even want to be way back when. seems like a lifetime ago. And so the question is, do you want to be able to do those things? And you might say, well, how is that? How can you even say it? Because, guys, even eight years ago, I wouldn't have said this about myself. And you're like, well, how can you say that when you gave up everything, you took a huge risk, you moved to a country and city you didn't know, you, you brought your two-year-old, your, your one-year-old, you guys didn't have, uh, you guys didn't raise enough money, you, you did all this to, to live on mission for God, you, you started a church, you, you go on and on. And I'd say this, that I trusted God would make me apostolic if I was willing and obedient to take the risks. If I was willing and obedient to put myself in a situation where I fully depended on him and he had to equip me in this if I was going to accomplish his purposes. That's the difference. It's not personality. It's not ability. It's capacity. Are your hands open? Do you actually have capacity or are they closed? Have you closed off your capacity? It's willingness and reason. I mean, just think about Peter, guys. Think about Peter and where he was. We can see his journey. And now he's writing this, this letter, this, this scripture, and he's saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You're like, wait, is that the same Peter? Is that the same Peter who uh, Jesus rebuked multiple times? Is that the same Peter who, who got chastised for his lack of faith? Is that the same Peter? Yeah, it's the same, it's the same Peter, guys. And I'm the same guy that I was back then, plus what the Spirit's done in my life. And so it's a question of, do you want that? It's desire. I can't give that to you, only the Spirit can through your willingness and obedience. So here he goes on, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, they are God's people as part of the scattering, as part of the diaspora. This, is, this means that, that they've been scattered across this region. And... And they are, they are exiles because they are elect. You catch that? They're exiles because they're like, because they're following Jesus, because they, they are saved, because they've chosen this. And because they're elect, three things are true of them. Identity, destiny, and influence. Guys, these two verses here are our vision and mission statement. They are discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. That is our vision and mission statement. It's, it's empowering people to know who they are and why they're here in order to make a difference together. That's it. That's what we do. That's who we are. We're here to, to, to help people discover those things. We're here to empower them in those things. And you see that in these two verses because we're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, identity, in sanctification of the Holy Spirit, destiny, for obedience to Jesus Christ, influence. And, and the saints before us, they knew this. Like it's not new that we're supposed to be, be embracing exile. It's not new to them in here. The saints, even before them, if you check out Hebrews 11, 13 here, it says this, these all, so it has a list of, of, of Old Testament 
saints and prophets, people in the Hebrew scriptures that came before this. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So it doesn't mean that God promised them something and then they didn't receive it. It, it means that they were, they, they were um, part of ushering in this new covenant, this messianic age, and they didn't quite see it yet. They saw it, and they saw it from afar. It greeted them from afar. So they knew they were a part of something, but the, but the full fruition of it didn't come yet. But still they walked forward in faith, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They knew that. They know that here in 1 Peter. Do you know that? Or are you still trying to live in this world? Are you still trying to just be like the world? Are you trying to assimilate? Because, guys... The, the um, overarching theme of this book for Peter, one of his main concerns, his chief concern, is assimilation into worldly, the worldly kingdom, the worldly culture. It's a threat of the, the exiles. It's a threat of the followers of Jesus. It's a threat of, the, of us assimilating into the world, becoming like the world. And so Peter, when he writes this to the exiles, these foreigners in another land, He's, he's trying to help them guard against uh, becoming like the world and looking like the world. Where, where are you at there? Where is your allegiance? Our cultural threat is a little more nuanced than that uh, because uh, what we've done is, is we've syncretized kingdom culture with traditional church culture and mixed in secular cultures to, to where we don't even recognize the differences anymore. So we think this form that we have is biblical culture or biblical form, and, and we think this is the only way it can be done. That's traditionalism, as we talked about uh, last time, uh, or a couple times ago. That's traditionalism, right? That is, we're holding on to this thing because this is the way it should be done. This way it's always been done. And, and not seeing, oh, maybe we can do this in another way, in a new way, in a different way. Guys, so many churches are stuck in this right now. So many churches are like, we have to have the Sunday gathering like we had it before, where everyone comes, where we tell people to come to us, where we have our buildings, where we come together, we sing three songs, we hear a sermon, we, we take communion, and we go home. We have to have that back, or else we're not the church. No, that is wrong. And guys, you have churches even in our city who are feeling like underground churches who are, subverting, who are subverting the government authorities that they say, according to Romans 13, that they are submitting to because they think that uh, uh, the government is infringing on them instead of saying, well, maybe there's a different way we can do this. Maybe even there's a better way. But no. Guys, the church has always struggled with being on the cutting edge of innovation. We just adopt culture. But one of mine and Missy's chief uh, elements of our calling to Toronto was to create culture. To create it. And so, guys, when this pandemic hit, we said, huh, now that thing has been taken away from us, what? What can we do that's new and amazing and special? Maybe even that's better and, and functions better than the thing we had before. That takes the thing we had before. Uh, if we really want relationships in there, 
what can we do that actually deepens relationships? Can we do something different that, that takes what we wanted to function in there, but the form was restricting us, and have a new form that makes this happen? And guys, that's where our church is today. We took the function, and we, and, and we said, what does a form look like now? It's basic design thinking, right? Function follows form. And so we, we did that. Over this past year, we've done that together. We've now functionally what we have is actually deepening us in relationship. It's actually putting us into one another lifestyle. It's actually creating a community of faith. It's actually creating a family of God. It's taking our immediate family and now putting it in the context of an eternal family. And here you have Paul writing to the, to the cities here, Pontus, Galatia, to the regions, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, right? He's, he's writing to these cities, these regions. He's not writing to individuals necessarily. He's not writing to churches necessarily, but to those who represent the king in their entire city and in their entire region. We have to get past our immediate families, guys, and put in the context of an eternal family, but we also have to get past our immediate church families and put it in the context of an eternal family. Many churches have this mentality, us for and no more still. And because of that, they're not living on mission, guys. They're living out their mission. They're not living God's mission. They're living out theirs. Now, they, they may think they are, but, but they're living out their mission. And for us as a church, we said we don't want to just live out our mission. We don't live out God's mission. Do you guys know that our mission statement, identity, destiny, influence, that is not just Trinity Life's mission. That is the great commission. We just reworded it. We, we just reword it for our culture, for our city, for, for our context. It's the great commission. That's our mission. It's the mission of God that hasn't changed since Jesus gave to us, hasn't changed since, since God gave to the people of God all the way back in Deuteronomy, all the way back in Genesis, this cultural mandate to be fruitful and to multiply, right? to live in Deuteronomy 4 uh, among, among this world so that people see who we are and they see our God. The Great Commission is just a reiteration of that. Acts 1-8 is a reiteration of that. Trinity Life Church's mission is just a reframing and a reiteration of that. And that's it. We're trying to live out this, this mission, not us for no more. But, here, here, but, but guys, you have to start small because you can't live on, uh, you can't, if, okay, if you can't live on mission with your parents, with your siblings, with your kids, with your spouse, how are you going to do that with your roommates, your friends, your three? You can. So you're not getting rid of the immediate family. It has to start there. It has to start. My family, we lived on mission together, and it flowed out of that. It has to start there. And if we can't live on mission together as a church, how are we going to do that with other churches in our city? How are we going to do that with other churches in our nation? How are we going to do that with the, with the global church? We're not. So we have to be united as a family of God here as well in order to do that with others. Okay? We have to start with immediate family, but we don't end there. We don't end there. Too many, too many people, too many churches, too many organizations end there. We're not ending there. So he says here, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's our identity. Uh, foreknowledge, uh, big theologic word, just meaning God knew it was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> that's a very scratching the surface superficial uh, yeah, definition, but uh, let's, let's move on. In the sanctification of the Spirit, that's just the holiness of the Spirit, the Spirit making us more like Jesus, right? That's your destiny. And then for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's your influence. Wait. Did you guys catch that? Our obedience is to sprinkle with his blood? What? Is that, is that right? What does that mean? Well, this is a, uh, an allusion, a pretty clear allusion to Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, where uh, where Moses affirms the covenant with the people, and he brings them before the altar. He brings he brings the people before them. He they they offer sacrifice to the Lord, and he and he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people, and he says, and the people say this after Moses reads from the book of the covenant, and he's reading it in their hearing. Uh, he said uh, the people say all that the Lord. Yahweh has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses takes the blood, he throws it on the people, and he says, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. He's sprinkling the blood. Guys, do you know that when you come from an immediate family into an eternal family, it's not just the Spirit of God that unites us. We have the same blood flowing through our veins, the blood of Jesus Christ. That unites us more than anything. The blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, we're united by that. And we always say, well, well blood is thicker than water, and, and that's my blood, right, and for our family. Guys, in the eternal family, that's far greater than your biological blood, the spiritual blood of Christ. Because it brings you into a different reality, not just this physical reality, but, but this spiritual reality, the, the, true real, the true reality of this world that our God has created. And our influence, and, and so, well, a couple things. So guys, one, we are sprinkling with his blood. So we do what Moses did. We, we confirm the covenant with people. We, we, we help people recognize that they are God's people. We bring them into the fold. As we are ministers of reconciliation, we're ambassadors for Christ. We bring them in. We have to live lives where they see us and they say, I want that. Right? This is the apostolic calling. This is us going out. This is influencing our city and our world. And here's the thing. Our influence flows out of our identity and our destiny. And it's only the transformation of the Spirit that enables us, that empowers us, that makes it possible for us to do this. And what I mean here is that your destiny as lived out through obedience is to influence, is to sprinkle this blood. And this is only possible because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're an elect exile empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are empowered by the Spirit, you have no 
choice but to influence. It's not a choice. If your identity is in Jesus Christ, if your destiny is in Jesus Christ, you influence. You just do. You don't say, I choose to do this or not. You just do it when you're in Christ. If you are not influencing, then maybe you're not in Christ. And your identity is misplaced and your destiny, therefore, is misplaced. Your influence flows out of your identity and destiny. It's because we are like Jesus, because he was sent into the world. That's why we are sent into the world. It's because he came from heaven. We come from heaven. It's because his citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's because he was an ambassador of of God. We are an ambassador of God. It's because he made peace. We make peace. So if your identity is in Christ and your destiny is in Christ, and if you are going to look more and more like Jesus, you will influence. You have to. It's the only thing you can do. You cannot not do it. You are compelled to do it. And it's not a matter of I'm not equipped. It's not a matter of I'm not gifted. It's not a matter of I'm not experienced or I don't have the answers or anything like that because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. He did it. Our life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. Our life is Christ Jesus, so we do it. Guys, I was with a, I was with a, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, a U.S. diplomat, and uh, and he he does some crazy stuff around the world. He's been in administrations since the the '90s and all the presidential administrations. And he said this. He said, "We live in a mediocre world." Anything we do that is slightly above that, people take notice. Our world is satisfied with mediocrity. Anything we do slightly above that, people take notice. It garners attention. And guys, my last few weeks uh, have been testimony to that. Uh, Out of the blue, I was invited to speak at uh, a Future Business Leaders of America event. Uh, we're uh, speaking to these young people about the future and about leadership, about, about um, yeah, their leadership development. Because that, that's the church living in the world. That only happens when we're out. If we're concerned with our immediate family in, then stuff like that doesn't happen. Like, why me out of all the other people, the doctors, the lawyers, the CEOs, the, you know, all, all these people, and, and the people I was with on that panel, <laughs> they, they were those people. And, and, then there's, and then there's me, right? Because that's the church living out, and so that's influencing. Guys, our church has been invited into this other thing. We're working with secular organizations across Canada. Guys, that doesn't happen to churches normally. But we are creating culture, our organization is, we're doing that individually, like we're on these leadership things with our city and with our church. Guys, that happens because we are an apostolic church that lives out that influence that seeks to uh, help people discover their identity in Christ and influence our city and the world. We're not supposed to blend in. We're not supposed to assimilate. We're supposed to stand out. That's when people see our God. And he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you because 
when that is multiplied to us, what do we do with it? We multiply it out. And these two things, grace, this unmerited favor from God, and peace, this thing that transcends all understanding, this rest that transcends all understanding, are missing in our world. And we get to give them to our world because they've been given to us through Christ Jesus, his, his willingness and his obedience, his sacrifice on the cross for our sake, his resurrection, his Holy Spirit in us. We get to give grace and peace. We're not the holders of it where we become arrogant. We're the givers of it in humility and generosity to our world. And that's why we're invited in these spaces. That's why we influence because of those things. We're not concerned about growing our immediate church family and getting as many people as we can into a specific location to grow and, and get a building and all that stuff. I don't care about that stuff. We're here to scatter and influence our city and our world, guys. And that's happening right now. Guys, you're part of a church that is integral to influencing our city. Guys, if, if, our, if, we, if our church died tomorrow and we imploded, our city would take notice. The world would take notice because of that influence that God's given us because we are willing and obedient to apostolically go out there and do whatever he wants us to do. But how do we continue to multiply this grace and peace? Well, like I said, um, it starts with our immediate family into our eternal family in the proper context. That's forming us. Community is formation. Community forms us. As you're in community, as we're doing this together in unity, it forms and shapes us more and more into the image of God. And for us, how we're, do how we're doing that as a church is we're putting that immediate family into the context of our three our rhythm of three groups, our R3s, R3Gs, all those refer to the same thing. Because just like in this passage, now we're, we're scattered across Toronto. We're not saying, hey, come here to this one location at this one time or you miss out. We're saying, no, scattered across Toronto, in your regions, in your neighborhoods, in your areas, to live out your identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. And so, so I want to close out today with, with reading some of these R3 testimonials to you guys, uh, because this is the power of R3 and what it's been doing for us over the past year. So uh, one person says, R3G has allowed us to stay in touch and actually grow closer, despite some of our group members even leaving Toronto because of the pandemic. They've been able to go deeper and closer together. Another person says, I was actually a bit apprehensive when this change came. But I must say, as time passed, we all shared life together. I realized we wouldn't have even gotten so close or shared as much if not for it just being women, me with the women. It's been really great to be able to develop more meaningful relationships. Here's another one. Prayer is indeed the fuel that keeps the fire of our R3 time burning. We've been praying over the past few weeks to open-handedly, willingly, and with full anticipation, usher in whatever God has for us in our lives and for our church. Ah, oh, so great, guys, these, these testimonies. Okay, here we go, more. R3 has catalyzed a way for our group to what? 
live on mission more intentionally together as a group. Streamlining the in-rhythm and cultivating more cozy up experience has created increased bandwidth for us to go up. This is paying dividends towards how much we are able to know our neighbors, pray for them by name, engage with them during the week. We have a large prayer list of friends we are engaging than ever before and have more unity and vision and engagement while still being able to love one another. That's the in-rhythm. Though still in its infancy stages and despite circumstantial challenges, we have seen more people take responsibility for their own neighbors and friends in relationship and realize their own potential in disciple making. That's the out-rhythm. Another one, over the past few years, I've really just been desiring to see a greater desire among my fellow brothers and sisters around me to just be all out for Jesus every day and encouraging others to do the same. I spent much time praying for this. At times I felt so discouraged from other Christians being called, and this is from other Christians calling him this, being called goody two-shoes, or, or why are you like that? Why are you defiant for simply just standing boldly in my faith and in ways God has called me to lead my life and how I view people. In my head in these times, I would just think, well, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. I know my R3 is one glimpse into this, but seeing them be down to talk about Jesus anytime without getting bored or simply just being down to do life greater together, each time we speak and have no words against doing so is just so encouraging and really makes me smile at the work God is doing in not just our gathering, but in our city and the world. I love what's happening. Seeing this, I've been feeling this great change from the Lord, which blesses me every day. Two more. I wish I could keep on going. These are great. Two more. R3 has been so transformative in my life in this last year. The vulnerability and courage of the women in my R3 has allowed us to grow deeper in relationship with Jesus and with each other and to talk about things that bring us face to face with God's grace. My R3 leader has been such a gracious shepherd through these conversations and a faithful friend as well. I've learned more than I thought possible in just one year from walking so closely with this group of women. I didn't know them at all when I came to the group. But now I think of them as truly precious friends. I get so much encouragement from my conversations with them. And the last one, R3 has been an incredible shift for how I think of church. It's been amazing to share my life with these women. They've carried me in times of loss and also celebrated with me in times of joy. I think the greatest impact in my life would be how we discover the true potential behind intimacy. Discovering what happens when we choose to trust one another, what happens when we choose to challenge one another to be better, to look more like Jesus, I've discovered that in doing life together authentically, we have far more to offer in this world together than we did on our own as individuals. Guys, that is our three. That's what we're inviting you into. That is following Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what we're inviting you into. That's what, is, that's what Jesus is offering you. He's offering you redemption and salvation and freedom and liberty and community and, and purpose and mission and identity in order to influence. If you're not in R3 and, and you're part of our church, you're missing out. I don't know how else to say it. That is everything I just read is you're missing out on. Take a step in because, because we want you to live on mission with us. We want to do this together. And if you're a follower of Jesus and this is you, man, let's go. Let's keep on going. 
Uh, we, this is our identity, our destiny, and we're influencing our city and the world. So I'm so glad we get to do this together uh, because God is moving and we're joining his movement. And when we talk about reframing the gospel in terms of friendship, that friendship doesn't end there. It turns into family. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. May we follow in your example. And so continue to make us more like you by the power of your spirit. In your name, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.